Hello, good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whatever time it is that you choose to listen to this. And if you do choose to listen to us, thank you. Uh, welcome to the season review, the big season review show of We Ate All the Pies. Uh, seems like just yesterday we, we just started this podcast. We're already at the end of the, of the season. Um, my name is Adam. Here with us once again is uh, my cousin Jordan from uh, the lovely confines of Sherman, Texas. Hi, Jordan. Hello, hello. And for the first time, and hopefully not for the last, we have to welcome a special guest with us. We've talked about him on the show before. Uh, it is our resident Fulham fan and also future We Ate All the Pies English League Championship correspondent, it is Mr. Caleb Slinkard, all the way from Central Georgia. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, here in the uh, here in the beautiful Peach State, um, I'm one of two Fulham fans in the entire state, so we're uh, we've got quite a little club going here. Multiplying. Yes. Um. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, for for our our big end of season review show, it's Caleb. We're going we're going through all the this teams, a, so we need as much help as we can. This is season. This is a season I definitely wanted to uh, review and spend a lot of time on for Fulham. So yeah, I, I bet. You, yeah, but. yeah. It's it's it's. Uh, you know, though, there was as much as I um, think that the pundits and people who were spending their time talking on NBCSN sometimes get it wrong. There was something that uh, the host Rebecca Lowe said recently when they were previewing all these games. She said it was the longest, shortest season in Premier League history, and I think everybody can agree with that. I think there are a lot of people who are ready to just have this season done and over with. And return to normal starting in August, um, and we're we're part of the way there. And unfortunately, for some players, you know, out of the frying pan into the fire, Euro twenty twenty is starts in two weeks, just around the corner. Yeah, uh, well, and we'll we will tell you a little more about when when we might do some Euro Euro uh, podcast specials coming up. Uh, but first, to welcome Caleb officially to the group here. Um, First, just kind of spend some time. Explain your love for Fulham, how you found it. You know, this is something Jordan and I did in the first episode. So, yes. kind of tell us how you got to Fulham and and where your love of the club comes from. Yeah, definitely, I'd be happy to. Um, so it dates back now, well over a decade. Um, for those who don't know, Adam and I went to college together, and I think probably our end of our freshman year, or sometime in us in our sophomore year. Adam made all of uh, our classmates choose a Premier League team to root for, so make he you would have do that. So he would have someone to talk to. That is true, though. Um, so no, he didn't. So actually, <laughs> Adam did a, We were all kind of generally interested in. It. I've I've watched football now since for for like fifteen years, and um, I was actually in Scotland during. Uh, I think I guess it would be what the two thousand six World Cup. That sounds right. And so anyway, I didn't have really a team to root for. So Adam did a great job of kind of listing all the pros and cons of, of all the teams. And at the time, Fulham was actually playing pretty well. Um, Roy Hodgson was uh, was leading the charge. Um, we just made a, a Europa League appearance, I believe. And more importantly, um, they featured two Americans, including uh, Texan Clint Dempsey, who grew up not far away from where I did. Um, so it just seemed like a natural choice. I didn't want to pick one of the top clubs because I felt like that was cheating. Um, I didn't want to pick a club that was being relegated, so Fulham seemed like a nice, safe, kind of middle-of-the-road choice. At the time. At the time. (laughs) And, you know, with Clint Dempsey, obviously, you know, uh, someone, an American, a Texan, someone I could root for right off the bat. Clint Dempsey's gone. 
Um, Hodgson's gone. Um, we're getting relegated, but my love for the Cottagers has endured. Yeah. And and you you have um you have a Fulham scarf now because some, I do. somebody came brought it back for you from London. Yes, I have a, I have a, <laughs> a legitimate Craven Cottage Fulham scarf that yeah. hangs behind me for all of my Zoom calls. Oh, nice. Yeah, but Caleb, you have to admit Scott Parker is a much uh a <clears throat> is a much better looking manager than Roy Hodgson was when you started following Fulham. As far as yeah, I mean as far as if we were gonna look at the attractiveness of the manager <laughs> we've got up in the world, I feel like in many other ways I think we're not you win. competitive. But yeah, I think I think we're we're near the top. You know, and Parker, you know, I think there's been a lot of frustrations. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the yeah. show with with just the way that Fulham has performed, but I don't think anybody can really be too upset with with what he's done. He's been a really kind of fantastic force. Yeah, we will. We'll we'll talk plenty about that. And so, uh, well, thank you, Caleb, for for explaining mm-hmm. that. Um, and then also, just real quick, and this is going to lead us into our first topic. Um, but just as a little bit of light hazing, I want you to give three reasons off the top of your head why Harry Kane should just forget all of the big European clubs and big English clubs, take a pay cut, come to Craven Cottage, and help the Cottagers get back up to the Premier League. Go. Absolutely. Um, so first and foremost, he doesn't really have to move. Um, That's true. You know, at least from wherever he lives during the season. You know, the home stadiums from Tottenham and Craven Cottage are only about 15 miles away from each other. Although that's not the quickest commute, as you would know, Adam, somebody who's yeah, been in London. Pretty, pretty packed. Um, yes, yeah, it's a lot of traffic. Uh, number two, he's the captain, obviously, um, of the national team. So he should really play his club football in England. So... Yep. You can't get really more English than, than a London club, so stay stay at the heart of the uh, empire, as it were. Um, and finally, you know, money's the root of all evil. You know, so why <laughs> tempt yourself with a top flight contract? And you could make a robust seventy five thousand pounds a week at Craven Cottage. You know, stay humble, stay yeah. hungry. You know, uh, as you as he moves to the next stage of his of his playing career. You know, why Why rest on your laurels when you could really kind of, uh, uh, you know, like I said, stay hungry? So those are my those are my three reasons. Yeah, come play for the good, hard-working people yeah. of upper-class West London. Um. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, just just a lot of blue-collar, yeah, uh, business owners and stuff out That's there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, good. Those, those, those are good reasons. Um, I, although I do think that the biggest thing they can do to tempt – Harry Kane to come back to Fulham is to put the Michael Jackson statue back up. Um, I think that would be yeah. Good. Yeah, we've already done that in pre- in, in preparation for our, our pitch to him. So <laughs> we're, well, we're going full. That is our that is our number one priority uh, this summer. This is the the re the 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 rededication of the Michael Jackson statue. Um, oh no, it's getting is is getting Harry Kane. No, oh right, okay. That's we're we're pushing all our chips in that direction. Okay. So. That's one way to do it. Um, all right. So speaking of Harry Kane, this was a development that happened this week, and we are going to spend most of this time, I think, just recapping the season and going team by team. But I do want to talk about this because it's kind of a big moment. You know, Harry Kane kind of, you know, he came up through the Tottenham Academy. Um, you know, I remember when everybody was just clamoring and saying, "Give him playing time, give him playing time." Um, and at that time, I think he got most of his play in the Europa League for Tottenham, and then he just sort of kicked on and. And he's 27 now. He's come out. He said he wants to have, to to win trophies. Um, and I mean, I don't think that there are a lot of Spurs fans who can blame him because there is a lot of of anger right now at how the club is being uh, run from the top. 
um, Europe or uh, European Super League attempt, notwithstanding. Um, but it is still a big moment when a club player leaves, and we don't we don't see. I don't know. I, I don't think we see this happen a whole lot because either you're a club lifer or. Um, you know, you 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 leave early and and you kind of take the money and and go somewhere else. So, I I'd, the closest thing I can think and compare this to from an American perspective would probably be and Caleb, you would you would both you and Jordan probably would know this a little bit better than I do. But it feels like a Kevin Durant moment. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I think this is always as 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 uh, you know on, on the basketball front. I'm a Dallas Mavericks fan, and so having like Dirk Nowitzki play for us for his entire career. You know, it just makes that so meaningful, and there are chances for him to leave, and he stayed. And and you, as a fan, you kind of always you want the greats to stay if they've spent their whole career in one place. You want them to kind of stay and see it out. But I think there's a little bit of a you get a little bit of a mulligan if your team has not reached kind of the success that maybe you know collectively you feel like you deserve individually. So for Dirk, he won a he won a championship, and he was happy to stay. Yeah. But you know, with Durant, that's a really good point. Is he hadn't he hadn't won an NBA championship, and and so he went title hunting. And as much grief as he got out of Oklahoma City fans, I think as a general sports fan, it's really hard to fault, you know, some of the best players in the league for going and looking for a title because that's such a huge part of their legacy overall. So yeah. I mean, obviously, if I'm a Tottenham fan, I want him to stay. But as a general sports fan, I understand his desire to 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 you know win a trophy. Jordan, how how should Tottenham fans feel? Do you think should they feel betrayed, or do, do they think they would understand why why Harry wants to leave? Well, if you're casting Kevin, uh, if you're casting Harry Kane as the Kevin Durant, the uh, the undeniable number one superstar, who just because of you know lack of team cohesion and um, sheer dumb luck, sometimes they just never quite make it. That means. Jose Mourinho is clearly the Russell Westbrook of the situation. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, annoying, the annoying little weird asshole who just drives everyone away. Um, I, I, you could feel you, you. I mean, you could feel loss, you know. But this has happened to you before. Luka Modric, Gareth Bale, you've <laughs> lost top end players before to bigger clubs. That's true. Uh, you were you were kind of hoping that you know with additions like uh, Loris, uh, Alderweireld, uh, Vertonghen, uh, now he's gone. Yeah. Uh, uh, Son, um, you know, and Harry Kane, that you could you know kind of grow the team organically with you know influx of cashes here and there, and you know jump into the top four, you know make a big splash and compete every year, and that just hasn't happened. Yeah, it's they've they've uh, and we'll talk a little bit, but the squad is there, I think. Yeah, yeah. But it just it it, it hasn't come quite together, and I mean you can't blame a guy for, you know, giving it his all, winning the golden boot on multiple occasions, and uh, not seeing the results, you know, uh, from the team, including this season. Uh, Harry Kane's a golden boot winner um, with I think twenty three goals. Um, he scored today, and Mo Salah did not score for Liverpool, although both um, both Spurs and Liverpool did manage to win, which we'll cover more in a minute. But So reportedly right now, um, the leading contenders to sign Harry Kane are Manchester City, Manchester United, and surprisingly, according to the rumors, 
Chelsea. Now, this is a weird yep. one because Daniel Levy doesn't exactly have the best relationship with Chelsea. Um, they've kind of screwed him over on some transfers before. Um, there was a whole issue with, I think, Chelsea wanting to to get Luka Modric in the summer before he went to Real Madrid. Um, and they felt like that kind of unsettled him, and so they didn't. They weren't especially happy with the way that they handled that. Um, there's been some other, um, I think, cases of Chelsea, I think, kind of stealing players out from Tottenham's nose with with their money. So I think it would take an awful lot for him to go to Chelsea. Um, my bet, what I would bet on here is by this by 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 the time we line up for the first games on August the 14th, Harry Kane is going to be a Manchester City player. That's just I think he fits best into that system. I think they have the money. Um I'd love to know y'all's y'all's thoughts on this, but to me City's is is the is the obvious they need choice. A player yeah. like him? Yeah. Uh so so clearly you're casting Manchester City as the Hamptons five then if Harry Kane uh joins them in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, I just that, I don't that, I, I don't see him moving to, to Chelsea at all. No, no. I think there's too much I think there's too much bad blood uh, between management there and it I think it's interesting too because um I mean, obviously, he's going to exact a certain price, but then obviously the contract situation provides a bit of, uh, you know, ch- challenges as well. And so I just, I mean, as someone who doesn't know English football as well as y'all do, I'm kind of surprised that someone with that many years remaining, I mean, in, in, in basketball, in NBA basketball or in a lot of American sports, a team with a superstar like that would just kind of double down and say, you know, you're going to play for us, or you're not going to play at all. Um, so I just, he do, it doesn't seem to me externally like he has a ton of leverage to get out of Tottenham. Um, but from the way you're talking about Adam, it seems like it's probably a, a, a done deal that, that he's going to be playing somewhere else next next season. Well, there is one thing hanging over this that I do think does give Harry Kane some leverage, and that is the manager situation at Spurs because there is none. <laughs> right. Yeah, and and so you know the whole thing was well, who do they bring in? And and they were saying, well, they're going to try and bring somebody in who would entice Harry Kane to stay, but that looks like it's going to be Nuno Espirito Santo. And as much as I like Nuno and I like him as a manager, and I think he's done such a fantastic job at Wolves, for Harry, that ain't going to cut it because it's a guy who hasn't hasn't proven that he can win trophies in England and that's what he wants. I just don't see that keeping him there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think city makes the most sense. Um, you are, I, 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 I think you got a point in that he doesn't have a whole lot of leverage and they are going to hold out for Spurs are going to hold out for as much money as they can, because if you lose Kane from this side, from this, this team, um, it's going to take a lot to rebuild it. And you also start to wonder, well, who else is going to leave? And, you know, is this the start of an exodus? If you've got a new manager coming in, you lose your best player. He's going to want to bring in some other guys. You know, what's that going to do to the team? How's it going to unsettle it? So it's it's going to be an interesting summer for Spurs, no doubt. Um, and we'll we'll talk about Tottenham in a minute, but I really do think before they can do anything this summer, they have to get the situation sorted out. It's just, it's... It's all it's all bad news coming from that side of North London. Um, so, as I already kind of started, let's let's kind of let's let's dig in. So here's what we're gonna do: we're gonna go kind of team by team. We've all made some little notes here and there, and we are gonna cover all the twenty teams that competed in the Premier League this year. Um, we're gonna start from the bottom. Big up, Drake. We're gonna start from the bottom and uh, and and get to uh, the champions, Manchester City. Um, in the end and just kind of work our way up. 
um, the order that I made on the notes, which is out to everybody, which I think is what we're going to use, isn't quite this, the table. Um, so we'll we'll kind of go over the, the official table at the end um, and talk about some results from today as we go along. But um, let's start with the team that finished on a high note, but for the most of the season didn't finish all that well, which was Sheffield United. Uh, they did win 1-0 today against Burnley at Bramall Lane in front of fans, so that was nice um, for the Sheffield United fans. Um, but other than that... Just not a very good season, uh, which was kind of a surprise given what they did in the last season, Jordan. Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, 19 goals scored this year, 63 goals against. So 63? A, uh, a goal differential of negative 44. Um, the, now, correct me if went, I'm wrong, Jordan, that's not very good. <laughs> that is no es bueno, my friend. No es bueno. Uh, so where the Blades went wrong uh, from last season, the the 1920 uh, season, is they got n- – <laughs> they scored no goals. Uh, their, yeah. their leading goal scorer, uh, David McGoldrick, uh, scored seven goals. Oof. And uh, assisted one. Um, their two main strikers, uh, Billy Sharp and Rian Brewster, three goals between them all season. Now Billy Sharp also went out with a uh, a serious thigh injury that required season-ending surgery. Uh, but yes, uh, Brewster only had uh, twenty-four shots all season and six on target. So twenty-five uh, percent shots on target is not going to cut it. For twenty eight million dollars, uh, to twenty eight million, uh, twenty eight million dollar uh, transfer fee. Um, the one shining moment for them uh, was uh, their seventeen year old uh, young boy Daniel Jebison. Two starts in uh, three matches, and he scored a goal on his debut. Yeah. So, um, so realistically. Uh, if Billy Sharp can get healthy, if Brewster can, you know, play like the like the player they paid him to be, and you know Daniel Jebison can, um, you know, get some more experience and you know get some more playing time in the championship, I think they'll do all right. I mean, Billy Sharp's what thirty five, and the last season uh, he was in the uh, the champion uh, the championship. He scored. Yeah, he scored. Uh, he scored twenty three goals in the championship in uh, eighteen nineteen. So, um, if he's healthy, I don't see the, I, I don't see this team not bouncing back up next year. Um, what, what do y'all think? Any thoughts I, on the blades? I, I am a little less optimistic than you are, and I'll, I'll tell you why. I think the first reason is. They had a player that came in. He didn't do a whole lot for them, but Sander Burge, who I feel like is a midfielder, someone who they could build around, he's already getting overtures from other teams to to leave. So so I think it's going to be an issue for them to hold on to some of these players, number one. Number two, they changed their manager. Um, uh, they got rid of Chris Wilder, which was kind of an unpopular decision. I, mean, I understand why they did it, because they were so low on the table, but you know, he's a local guy. He... You know he knows the club in and out. He 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 raised them up into the Premier League, and so he's done a lot for them. And 
I don't. I mean, you've seen reports that he hadn't necessarily lost the dressing room. It was just more of a matter of, of performance. And and again, I get it. But you're talking about a manager who the players respected, who played for him, who played in his system, and now you you bring in somebody in Paul Heckingbottom who's gonna who's gonna change that a lot. So I, I don't know if you can navigate all that change. I mean, the, the Caleb, you know more than anything. The championship is tough. It is so tough yeah. to navigate, and you. It's. I mean. I would say it's almost tougher to navigate than than the Premier League because there's there's so many teams, there's so many factors. You're playing in small stadiums, you're playing in big stadiums. Um, it's a different brand of football. It's much more hard nosed. Um, you're so, going to Millwall. Yeah, you go. Yeah, you're going to Millwall. Good lord! I mean, you're you're going to these the, you know these places where it's, it's, it gets pretty hostile. So um, I think it's going to be tough. The good news is a lot of these players have have already been through that experience and know what it takes to get out of the championship. Um, but you know, it kind of depends on the changes over the summer. I, I I just my hopes are not high for Sheffield United uh, right now. I think they, it is going to take them a few more seasons. I don't think they'll drop down, but I do think it's going to take a few more seasons for them to to get out. I don't expect them to get off to a flying start. Um, and and next year. I'll talk about this a little bit when I talk yeah. about Fulham, but I don't think it's the worst. I mean, obviously, from a fan's perspective or an insider's perspective, you want to be back up as quickly as possible. But it's pretty clear from the way that they played this year and Fulham played this season that they don't have the quality to compete in the Premier League. And kind of yo-yoing back and forth is is really tough as a fan because you go from having a really quality season to just – having a really, really disappointing year. And so I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to spend a couple years in the championship, even though it is a tough league, if you're using that time to develop players, make smart investments, build a culture, those kind of things. Yeah. But to your point, Adam, it's tough to do that when the guy who would, you know, maybe lead you through that, that you know, the wilderness is someone who you got rid of last month and so or a couple months ago. And yeah. so, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it'll be a couple seasons before we see them back up. Daniel Jebison will do much better in the champ in in the English league in the English football league championship as development wise than he would getting yes. one game or another in the Premier League. I was going to say um, this season for Sheffield United honestly reminds me of uh, the second season Huddersfield had when they were up in the Premier League when they let David Wa- uh, Wagner uh, uh, Wagner go uh, midway and then they just dropped out completely as well. Yeah. You could say the you could say the blades were bit by second season syndrome. Yeah, a little bit. It, but I this was one of the biggest things that surprised me because they had played so well. It seemed like they had such a great system under Chris Wilder, but they just looked out of it. They looked completely out of their league this season. And I do think second season syndrome. Um, you know, you get a little comfortable, and it's not as much of a fight week in and week out. And maybe the pandemic played a role too. I mean, this this was a weird season, but definitely for Sheffield United, just uh, a disappointing season. And, and you know, like I said, hope for the best for Blades fans, but I, I I don't think it's promising. I think I think they'll have a few seasons down. Um, let's move to another club that I, I was a little surprised at how poor they did this season, which was West Brom, um, relegated nineteenth place. Uh, surprisingly bad start. They actually didn't win their first game until November. Um, which I was surprised that when I when I looked back, I knew they had a bad start. I didn't know it was that bad. Um, and then, you know, they brought in Big Sam. This here's somebody who, you know, is supposed to be this expert in keeping teams up, and he seemed to lift them a little bit, but uh, just couldn't get it done. I think they were just in too big of a hole. 
Um, and, uh, you know, a couple of big results. I think they had that 5-2 result against Chelsea, um, where it just seemed like they could just score goals at will, but they just weren't able to string it together as much. And And I think that relegation, I think it hurt Big Sam more than it hurt the rest of West Brom because that was kind of his, that was his shtick. Like, that was his thing. He came, he comes in, he gets them to survive. It's just getting into the next season that he, he always had trouble with because of the brand of football that he plays. Um, but to not be able to survive, I think, you know, I think he looked at the situation and was like, I, I don't know if I can really do this because they, they, apparently West Brom did offer him a package to stay on and, you know, basically said, look, this is what we'll give you. We feel like we can, we can go forward with you and you can bring us up in the championship. And he just, he, he denied it. Um, and so that that just wasn't something for him. So it's really going to depend, I think, next season if they can keep some of their stars, n- namely Mateus Pereira, because I I think he's kind of on his way out. Um, he scored 11 goals for them in the league this season. Um, Hopefully to Newcastle. <laughs> that would be a good signing, which is, and then I think we said, said before, uncharacteristically good for Newcastle, but it would be a really, really good signing. Um if they can make good moves on the attacking end, I do think they should be okay. They've got some experience in the central midfield um, with uh, with Jake Livermore, who I think is going to continue to do well. And then uh, defensively, player wise, I don't think it's necessarily all that bad. I think it's just a matter of um, you know putting together a side and then stringing it together and and coming up with some consistent play. Um, and you know they're going to need to bring in a manager who can do that for them. And so we'll see. Um, you know, I think Frank Lampard is, is supposedly a favorite for that job, um, but also he may have some Premier League offers, so we'll just kind of have to wait and see. But it's it's still a lot of questions around West Brom that I think need to be answered before you talk about whether or not they can come back up next season. Uh, side note, Adam, I think we should do a podcast over the summer about the uh, the footballing journey of the, uh, the Jake Livermore-Tom Huddleston duo, former uh, Tottenham Young Boys. I think who went to Hull because I've not heard that name Jake Livermore in a quite a while. Yeah, again, I, I think just the 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 poorness of the way West Brom performed this season, I think overshadowed anything else, and I think it was a bit of a surprise. And yeah, maybe fans will make a difference next season. Um, so from them, let's let's talk about one who maybe was not quite as disappointing. Um, but still, unfortunately, it was really strange this season that three teams who were relegated ended up being relegated about a month or so out, or at least we knew we knew who was going down about a month out from the season, which usually isn't the case. But Caleb, Mr. Fulham, please give us your verdict yeah. on on this season and and kind of what your hopes are for for the future uh, of of Fulham, and then also uh, kind of looking at that manager's position because that's a little questionable too. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because last time, the last time that Fulham was promoted, you know, we, we spent a bunch of money and brought in a bunch of new players, and, and obviously that that did not work. Um, that was a terrible year. And so this last time before this season, before the 2021 season, the, the general philosophy was let's try to, as much as possible, stick with the guys who got us here. Um, you know, we're not going to bring in a bunch of people on, you know, transfers who aren't going to stick around. We're not going to bring in a bunch of players on loan. Let's, let's, let's really lean into the squad that we have. And, and fairly quickly, um, I, I feel like 
<laughs> I don't know if panic is the right word, but fairly quickly we decided not to do that and kind of go in, 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 in the opposite direction. And, and, and because I, unfortunately, very quickly, I think we realized that the difference in, in terms of quality uh, was pretty significant. And, and I would also say that I think that we moved away from guys a little bit more quickly than I think we should have. I mean, obviously it was tough losing our captain, Tom Kearney, for a, a good chunk of the year. Um, but it, when you look at Fulham's 2021 season, it, it's kind of similar to, to Sheffield United. They just couldn't score. Uh, when you only scored 26 goal, uh, maybe I'll have to go back and look at it exactly. But it wasn't. we didn't score that many goals. And the, the person who kind of epitomizes Fulham's season probably the best is Alexander Mitrovic because he's somebody who scored 26 goals uh, last year in the championship. I mean, he was – you know, he was just absolutely breathtaking last year. And then this season only scores three goals. And so I, I feel like that's probably a pretty good kind of picture of of where Fulham is. I mean, obviously a team that's, you know, near the top of the championship and just struggles a lot in the Premier League. Um, you know, we brought in some really good transfers and, and some really good players on loan um, in particular. Um, our uh, keeper, Ariola, who's on loan from PSG, was brilliant all season. We did pretty well in terms of, of holding possession, um, we didn't concede a ton of goals, but when you don't score, um, it just puts so much pressure on all the the other facets of the of of the game and on your team. And so, um, you know, it was just very clear that that we didn't quite have the team that we needed to stay up. Um, there was a stretch there where it looked like we might survive. Uh, you know, there's an eight eight match stretch where we defeated Leicester. We drew six matches. I think we drew Liverpool in that stretch. Um, but in our final 10 matches, we only got two points um, and really wasted kind of a, a fairly strong run in the center uh, of, of the season. And overall, like you could tell Parker, you know, was just trying so many different combinations and couldn't quite figure out what the best matchup was. And, you know, the result was just a, a really kind of disappointing season. And so it, it's, it's, it feels frustrating as a full fan because you feel like there might have been a combination of players and strategy that could have maybe um, kept us up, but it was also pretty clear that we just lacked, you know, finishing the polish uh, in the box to really, uh, to really, you know, win the games that we needed to. So, you know, next um, year, yeah, go ahead. Uh, sorry, Caleb, to your point, and just the lack of finishing from today's match, especially uh, yes. that Ivan. Uh, Oh, that's right. Newcastle and Fulham. Yeah, this was the Jordan Caleb Darby today. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, uh, the Ivan uh, Ca- uh, Cavalario just yeah. shot over the goal. Yeah. When that It should have been one-on-one right there. Pretty much tic- yeah. uh, typifies uh, your lack of uh, of touch yes. around the box. That's a great point. Today's today's match was really – you could if you just watched that match, that was the whole season. Because you saw Fulham do well in terms of possession. You saw them do well in terms of – of, of maybe they don't even create chances per se, but it's it's the lack of ability to finish the chances they get that really doomed us, and and that was what was most frustrating. And so, you know, you look forward, you go, well, are they going to be better next year? Well, obviously they're being relegated, so they're going to be playing against a different level of competition, so you expect them to perform better. Um, but you know, as I was kind of, kind of saying to Sheffield, I feel like this is an opportunity for Fulham to kind of take a step back and go, what kind of what kind of team do we want to be? Um, you know, can we lean into some of our, long, our younger players, give them a chance to develop 
guys like Fabio, you know, Carvalho and Sylvester Jasper, can we give them some really quality time? Um, can we lean into that academy? Can we play even like, you know, Steven Sessing Young and, and guys like that, phase out some of the older players like Tim Ream um, and, and make some smart investments and, and hopefully promote in a few seasons with a squad that with some, you know, reinforcements could stay in the Premier League, you know, as opposed to going back and forth. So, yeah. um, you know, that that's that's what I – and I may not be the typical Fulham fan, but that's what I'm really hoping for for us that next season is I don't even really care too much about the the where we place. Obviously, I don't want to be relegated, but I, I care more about can we develop some of these, these guys that we have. I think a lot of that is going to come down to whether or not you, you maintain with, with Scott Parker. And right. I was curious from what you can tell, you know, what are the feelings on that? Does, is there, do you get the sense that, that Mr. Khan is going to be open to having Scott Parker remain? You know, do fans want him to remain? What do you, I mean, is there anything that we can tell from that situation right now? Fans want him back. I think for sure, you know, with the cons, there's a little bit of a dust up, you know, there, there was this kind of perception that, there wasn't a lot of communication coming from, um, from the top, um, you know, from, from this particularly Tony down to, to, to Scott. And so, you know, there's clearly some frustrations there that have kind of boiled up. I don't know who's more frustrated with whom. Obviously Parker, um, is an attractive, you know, uh, potential leader for a lot of, um, clubs. Um, and so I would just say from a Fulham fans perspective, I think we want it back. I think, he's shown what he can do with a team in the championship. And so um, we'd love to have him back. I think that the, you know, the comms would be, would be, I think it would be a poor decision to make a change right now, especially as you're kind of going to be going into a bit of a rebuilding year. Um, you know, so, and, and he's, he's just, he's the kind of manager that, that I think Fulham really needs right now. So I hope that he stays. I think he will stay. Um, but we'll see. I would agree. Uh, I, th- I think I think it would be more. I th- I think it, it's the type of manager that it's the type of club that needs him right now, and he's the type of manager who needs Fulham right now because I think this is a good level for him. And I think maybe if he jumped up to Tottenham, which had been rumored, or anything else, I think it would be a step too far. I think he needs to stay there and 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 uh, continue to hone his craft. Your your point, Jordan. Uh, was it true that? Uh... Uh, that Scott Parker's, you know, uh, uh, stay in Fulham is dependent on his um, uh, his first blood match with uh, Hall of Famer Chris Jericho this summer. <laughs> um, and if he gets to one, two, three, he uh, he's he's manager of Fulham again. I can neither confirm nor deny uh, uh, those rumors. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think Adam's point is great. I mean, Parker, you know. I think that he would do well moving to a larger club, but I think that um, there'd be some growing pains. And obviously when it comes to top flight English football, you don't get away with a couple seasons of kind of feeling your way through it. So yeah, I think, I think Scott and Fulham are both in the same place. And so I'd love to see them spend a couple more years together and really develop Fulham into a team that like another team we'll talk about later on, Aston Villa, you know, there's a way to, there's a way to promote and stay. And I think that, that uh, that Fulham and, and Scott are, are are kind of a match, a good match for each other to do that. Quick story before we jump to our next team. Um, so when I got Kayla, when I got that scarf um, in London from Caribbean Cottage, so I walked into the club shop and uh, I 
ran into one of the youth team coaches from Fulham, and he had like his his tracksuit on and and everything, and and I could tell he was because he had some young looked what looked like youth youth academy players who were there with him, and they were I think they were just kind of going on a tour of the club and looking around and and, and showing him around, and I am ninety nine point nine percent sure that I met in two thousand eleven a young Emerson Hinman. Who, yeah. uh, well, yes, <laughs> well, because right. we, we started talking and he was like, oh, you're American, where are you from? And I said, well, north of Dallas, Texas. And he said, oh, we have a Dallas guy. And I sat there and talked. And I'm I'm 99% sure that, I mean, I don't think Fulham were exactly plucking all the Dallas kids out at that time. I think there was only one person it right. possibly could have been, which would have been Emerson right. Hinman, who came from Dallas, Texans. So, um, so yeah, so, so fun fact, I met Emerson Hinman before he was uh, – um, <laughs> nice. I like if, it. If people need to look that up. Go ahead. He, he was a he, he he once was a promising player. Um. So speaking of teams who kind of know how to stay up, uh, let's talk about Burnley and and Jordan. You had kind of spent some time looking at them. Um. What 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 did we make of the Clarets this season? Um. Typical Burnley. Yeah. Uh. So they finished this year with a. Uh, uh, a gentleman's uh, 33 goals scored versus uh, 54 <laughs> against. Um, hey, some some clubs will take that, Jordan. I'm yeah. just saying. Hey, I, we, 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 uh, two of us know that for sure. Uh, yeah. The, th- the third one might be experiencing this uh, sometime sooner rather than later. Um, no teasers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. The, Burnley's main problem and this is it's it's part of the reason why they stay up. It's Sean Dyche. It is the four four two, uh, with uh you know two strikers Barnes and uh 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 Barnes and Wood up top. Which uh you know Chris Wood had a great year this year, uh twelve goals, three assists, so double digit goals and a uh, uh goals plus assists per ninety of uh .51. So I feel like four or five of those goals came in the last like these last few games too. He had a he had yeah. a great end of the season too. Yes. Yeah. Yes, um, and you know, uh, as I was, you know, digging deep in the stats, part of the problem is, you know, you could have a double digit double digit score like that in Chris Wood, but um, your midfielders, uh, Goodmanson, um, Cork, Rodriguez, uh, McNeil, Brownhill, all guys who played uh, double digit matches for Burnley, averaged the bottom of the league or uh, you know, lower half of the league in progressive pa- passes and progressive carries. So what that's telling me right there is that almost all of your midfielders are not making runs into the box. They're not making, you know, aggressive, you know, forward forward passes trying to create an opportunity. So in some way you're stifling your own creati- your own creativity for defensive solidarity. Look at Jordan moneyballing us here with those stats. No, I agree. Um, I I, th- I think definitely not as progressive as you would want them, and it just seemed more like a hit and hope type of tactic. Which I mean, technically it worked. Yeah, and it's interesting, Jordan, yeah. the way that you that you put that um, is uh, because I think a lot of Burnley fans will look at Sean Dyche and, and say, "What a great guy! What a great manager!" Um, you know, a lot of people respect him, but but what well, basically, I mean. Based on what what you just kind of said, it, it seems like your suggestion is that under his system, it's more of a languishing kind of thing going on. Yeah, exactly. And you know, with what with what Tartovsky said uh, towards the end of the season, he wants out. 
he's not going to lose his contract, so you lose one of your key defensive scores yet again. Is Burnley going to have the budget to, you know, fill that, that fill that hole in the defense uh, next to Ben Mee and, you know, possibly, you know, uh, renew renew the squad? You know, I was looking at the average ages of the players who uh, played double-digit matches. They, their average age is 27. They are by no means a young team wow. when you have players like Robbie Brady, um, Matt, uh, Matea, uh, uh uh, Matty Vidra, uh, yes. Charlie Taylor, Ben Me, Chris Wood as a young 29. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. the, the number one England goalkeeper, Nick Pope, is 29. Uh, this team, Burnley, desperately needs to get some youth in. I think their youngest player, too, um, was uh, Josh Brownhill <laughs> at 25, was their youngest player to have uh, double-digit double digit appearances this year. Wow. So definitely it's need, it needed some youth. By the way, just some news um, um, on Nick Pope. He suffered an injury that will keep him out of Euro 2020. I, I, I believe he suffered it today, but yes. he, he So uh, my understanding is he will not be able to be uh, selected for England duty for, uh, for for this summer, which is a real shame because he, like you said, he was, uh, was kind of one of the best parts of that Burnley team. He And he is the best goalkeeper, uh, the, the best English goalkeeper uh don't come! Don't don't come at me, Jordan Jordan Pickford fan. No, I'm not. No, Sorry. I'll come uh, at you as a Dean Henderson fan. Though. Uh, the guy has T Rex arms. <laughs> that's some some Sunderland hatred coming back as well for there for Jordan. Um, but yeah, I like your. You know, they they may be in need of a of a squad refresh. But like you said, are the are the funds going to be there, especially after a season when you weren't able to have fans? Um, you know, it's going to be interesting and and. Um, next season for Burnley, I think I think they could be uh, they could be in, having some issues. So, um, and I'll say this, Adam. Oh yeah, you go know, on. this could be, I mean, obviously this could be said for any for every team, but and I, and I, I failed to mention this with Fulham, but there are definitely some squads in some stadiums that when they're full, it's it's they add so much to what the players are able to do the general atmosphere and just the way that teams play. And so I'll say for some teams, particularly ones that, that really rely, I feel, uh, you know, like I said, every player loves to have, you know, the home crowd cheering for them. But I feel like, you know, with, with teams like, like Fulham Craven Cottage, when you take fans away, it just almost, it's, it's like losing, you know, a, a, a starting player. And so I am, I'm really excited to see, you know, hopefully with, you know, this pandemic behind us in, in many ways yeah. next season. I'd love to see uh, many of these stadiums full again. And that could make Caleb, a difference at Turf Moor. It really could because you are, you, that's, one of those, that's one of those stadiums that I think it shakes when it's full, you know. And you are right. I, I, there is a certain kind of magic when, it's, when you're going there like on a, on a Monday night and it's cold and foggy and you're in Turf Moor and the, fan, that the house is rocking. You are very much, you know, astute in that observation. Uh, speaking of stadiums, we'll, we'll move on to the team who plays in, in my opinion, is one of my favorite stadiums, which is Brighton and Hove Albion. Um, I, I don't, I don't know why. I just, I really like, really like their park. Um, so Brighton, I got to be honest with you, I thought they were going to be relegated. Uh, when people were talking about whether it was going to be Fulham or Newcastle, I said that third spot belongs to Brighton, and they did kind of start to lose a few games. I just didn't think they had it in them, but. You know, if there's one thing that Graham Potter has done this season, it's it's to show that he has put together a very well organized, very good, 
team defensively, uh, I think. Uh, their biggest issue, of course, is at the other end, and it will continue to be their biggest issue unless they fix it this season. Um, so many missed opportunities for Brighton this season, and you, you really start to think where they would be had they been able to put all those together. Um, they managed to do so in the end, um, but I don't know. I mean, maybe this is a little bit of bias because I have his jersey sitting in my closet right now, but when, you're, when you have Danny Welbeck in your team and you have a team that is that organized and can put together that many good moves, and he's not you know, getting the bulk of the goals – um, you know, it's 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 kind of weird, and it kind of makes me wonder. I think Neil Ma- Neil Mo- Mope is the leading scorer with eight, and next season that's not going to cut it. Also, um, I, I wonder if they're going to be able to hold on to Eves Basuma, who had a really wonderful season in the midfield, um, but apparently he's going to be a hot commodity this summer. So, so you know, when Grant Potter first came in, when he replaced Chris Hutton, I, I kind of wondered why, because I thought Chris Hutton had done enough to to warrant staying at Brighton. In fact, I still do. But to me, he has proven his worth as a manager this season um, because he got the Brighton players to to string together enough results. I mean, they had some really big results. I hate to say it, Jordan, but that 3-0 win against Newcastle was huge. Um, I mean, yeah, that was. to, no, to that be was able a, to that do that, it's a very, very solid win for them. And so, so you know, I, I would be optimistic if I'm a Brighton fan because I think there's a good system there. Um, but they, they've got to get somebody who can, who can, they need somebody who can somewhat easily get 10, 10 goals a season, at least somebody who, you know, is going to get 10 goals a season. And I think if they can turn in more of those chances, um, they'll be in good shape next year and they'll, they'll build on this. Any other notes on the goals? Anybody? I think it's I think it's spot on analysis, Adam. The more if you can score more goals, you'll do better. <laughs> but it's not no <laughs> no. It's not you'll that do, simple you'll... though. It's about because they. It's not that they didn't. No no. no hear me out. Hear me out. <laughs> if you found a bunch of guys who scored a bunch more goals, it would be no. I I know exactly what I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I mean there's a the system. There's a system there, there to to yeah. lead to a good goal scorer. They just didn't have one this season, and I yeah. think that, that impacted. It, it, and I think that that's the thing is like there's some systems and there's some teams where you're like, okay, they need a big body up front. You know, they need somebody who can yeah. just kind of, you know, who can really, you know, let's say perform really well on set pieces or, you know, for like for Fulham, it's like we need somebody who can just finish. So I know what you're saying. Like there's there's definitely some squads where you're like, man, they've got they've got the whole, you know, pyramid built, except they've got that final piece at the very top. They just need somebody who can finish. And I think you're spot on. And I think well, and and I also think that it's managed well enough to the point where Graham Potter is not the type of person who, when he sees he needs a big number nine up top, will pull the Andy Carroll lever uh, and bring him to the south coast. Uh, <laughs> that joke was for you, Jordan. Hey, um, <laughs> hey, hey! You don't need Andy Carroll when you have Big Lewis Dunk back there, okay? That's true. That is true. Um, uh, speaking of, actually, no. Speaking of Newcastle. Um, Let's let's so that they're next oh, on the list, Jordan, and we're 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 delving into that now. I would ask you, you please keep your rant to five minutes. Um, okay, and uh, All right. <laughs> no, All right. spill it out. Let's let's, let's begin. see. Yeah, let's let's begin. Uh, then let's start okay. with the news that Joe Willick is not going to be a player of their next season. <laughs> Don't break my heart. Um, he is one of my, he is he is one of my bright spots, and we will get to him later. Uh, the main problem with Newcastle is Steve Bruce. Steve Bruce, Steve Bruce, Steve Bruce. I don't care what you, Steve Bruce apologists, Adam, say. It's Steve Bruce. Uh, reasons being, you play a five three two or a, a five three two. That's fine. 
uh, don't sell your starting right back in DeAndre Yedlin, and then you know have your 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 backup uh, uh, Javier Monquillo go out to injury, and you have to start a Meal Craft or uh, Jacob Murphy, who's a winger, as a right back. Um, injuries to Clark, Lascelles, Dummett, Wilson, Shar, um, Dubrovka throughout the season has shown that when. When you are missing key components, you kind uh, you have to um, you have to you know have a squad to play, have a squad. So you're going to blame um, Steve Bruce for the injury crisis? Yes, I am. I'm going to blame Steve Bruce for everything that's wrong okay. with my club, right? Um, because he's Steve Bruce. Um, is it a lack of? And I, I, I hate to interrupt your, your aunt, Jordan. Is it? I, you mentioned there kind of a lack of. A foresight in terms of who you bring in, who you who you who you let leave, it, it sounds like there may be a, a lack of um, of flexibility, or or maybe you know the the ability to have players who are able to play multiple positions or fill gaps as injuries do happen. Um, do you feel like that was an issue with them? Is that it, not necessarily depth, but having a flexible depth? I mean, just you know, the the some players did show that um, they could you know. Uh, uh, flex into positions. Matt Ritchie, uh, he has a ma- he wears a magic hat. Uh, was decent, uh, you know, reasonable as a left wing back. But I felt like in staying within that five three two system, we some we sacrificed the cohesiveness going forward. I'd re- I'd much rather see players like uh, Ryan Frazier, who was injured this year, another injury. Um, you know, Almiron. St. Maxim, uh, Matt Ritchie in the in the middle and then the opponent's half of the third and not their own. Um, speaking of my player of the year, and I'm not going Callum Wilson. I uh, you know, great player, twelve goals and five assists, you know, um, and horrible, horrible injury to end the year. It's Alan St. Maximum, or as I call him, Gucci headband. Um Looking going into his deep stats, we're gonna. I'm gonna list you off some uh, some key some key statistics. Uh, in progressive passes, he was in the 85th percentile of all Premier League players. In pre- uh, progressive carries, he was in the 98th percentile of all Premier League carriers. Uh, all he knows uh, how to do is pick up the ball and run. <laughs> dribbles <laughs> completed. Just... <laughs> dribbles completed. He was in the 99th percentile of all Premier League players. Um, and shot creating actions at uh, at, uh, at, uh, at at averaging three point nine two per ninety, he was in the ninety fourth percentile of all Premier League players who um, who played enough minutes to you know get into the categories. He by far was the most electric player on the on Newcastle this year. When he got the ball, I truly felt like something was going to happen, and unfortunately for him, uh, it usually was you know a, a ball got cleared out. Uh, and he had to go make a lung busting run, take on two guys, and then you know, take a take a uh, like a uh, a uh, a not great shot because there's no one else in the box. Uh, I'm looking at you, Joe Ellington, um, who, oh, 40 million pounds, total waste from Hoffenheim. Joe Ellington, which is Brazilian for uh, battering ram. And uh, uh, a Brazilian for Jose Altador, for sure. The, <laughs> the man had no, the man had the man had no touch. 
uh, couldn't control a ball to save his life, even though he was asked to be the the holdup player um, in that squad. Uh, let's see. And has uh, super weak hamstrings. Is that the <laughs> to complete the comparison? <laughs> so, so um, I do. I want to. I want to. I, I want to jump in here because um, I do want to start kind of rushing through these these clubs a little bit quicker. Sorry, um, I know this. Sorry, no, 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 no. I know that this is this is yours. But I, I guess I just want to ask. You know, if Steve Bruce isn't the guy. Because it's, it's clear that Alan St. Maxim really, really helped out this team. And I agree. I think he should be the player of the year. I think a lot of people want to give it to Joe Willick, but he's on loan. He's coming from Arsenal. He's probably going to stay at Arsenal next season. But uh, Alan St. Maximin did, did the most. But So you're going the next season. Jordan, you're, you're Mike Ashley. Oof, shudder. Um, what, what do you – who do you get realistically – for this team to carry them forward. I mean, who is out there that you would that you would want to bring in? I can think of a name right now that I would want to. I just don't know if he would go there, um, which is Frank Lampard. But uh, no, no, no. Sorry. Hold on. Let me finish with my Jolington rant real quick. <laughs> okay. uh, so he had uh, he had four goals and three assists. So that averaged out to a zero point two seven goals plus assists per ninety. You that for forty million pounds, that's not going to cut it. Um, and I'm going to go against the grain here. I'm not thinking Frank Lampard. You know who I'm thinking. I'm going across that wall. I'm going up to the great nation of Scotland. Bring me Stephen Gerrard, baby. Well, that would be interesting to see him come in. I, I mean, I still think, we've talked about this before, I still think Stephen Gerrard's going to just hang out up there until Klopp either leaves Liverpool or decides to leave Liverpool or or they decide that, that he no longer should be there. I don't know if either of those are going to happen anytime soon, but I, th- I think he's waiting on that. But that would be really interesting to have Steven Gerrard come back to England and manage there. You know, the question is, does he want to? And and it kind of goes back to, to what we've talked about before, which is I think the ownership in Newcastle just makes that so hard. Yes, it does. Yes, it does, unfortunately. And I feel like Steven Gerrard at this time – would be a good a, a quality a quality hire for Newcastle if Steve Bruce is not the guy. Um, the reason being, he um, you know he saw Rangers through the rise of um, of the entirety of the Scottish the, the Scottish football pyramid, and um, going to play teams like uh, like uh, you know <sighs> Forest Park. I think it's Forest Park Rovers. Um, you know, Queens of the South, there is going to be a lot of games that get ugly. And um, he he consistently shown that, you know, he could get results in those leagues and then go have an invincible uh, invincible season in the Scottish Premiership and win, win the title. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, that, that would, that would be, that would be a, a good one. I, I, I think, I think things have to get bad enough for Steve Bruce first before, they start looking though, because I think after this season, and we know Mike Ashley well, he's just going to stick with what's working, and it, and it is working technically. I mean, you stayed in the league, um, but I do understand. Yeah. I mean, it's just he's it's not progressive enough to sustain any sort of long term success from Steve Bruce. No. No. no, Mike Ashley is the is the ultimate reactive owner. Yeah. Um. So no, Steve Bruce will be my manager. You know, uh, at the start of next season, I don't know if he's going to make Christmas. We'll see. Good prediction there. Uh, so I, let's 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 move through some of these clubs kind of kind of quickly a little bit, um, and I'll start with with because um, we're getting to the part of the table where people start paying less attention. Southampton, 
Um, easy to forget that, that the Saints were actually, I mean, toward the top of the table. I think in their first 15 games, they only lost twice. So, I mean, they came out flying. They were looking great. Um, or there was a 15-game span where they only lost twice. I think they may have lost their first two. But, um, you know, fantastic season for Danny Ings. He finishes with 13 goals. Um, unfortunately for Ralph Haas and Huddle, it was a season of two halves. So you ended up seeing Southampton kind of down toward the other end of the table, which is, um, you know, not where they not not where you would want to be. Um, you know, it was it was. I'm thinking of a comparison here. It's sort of like a typical day on the South Coast. It starts out nice and sunny, and then suddenly the storms roll in. Um, I think if you know, there have been some some talks about Danny Ings possibly leaving. Um, but I think if you can keep this team together, if you can keep Ings and, and Che Adams up top, I think if you can make the Theo Walcott deal permanent, because I think, I mean, it just makes sense that he would end his season with, South, with Southampton since that's where it, or end his career with Southampton since that's where it began. I think that would be a good start. Um, he would just give them a little bit of a different look, um, uh, like he did this season. Um, you know, you keep James Ward-Prowse, uh, maybe refresh the squad, bring somebody in who can partner with James Ward-Prowse and, and sort of make it easier for him uh, there in the midfield, uh, keep Gineppo, and like I said, just continue the development of Che Adams. I, I would be optimistic if I'm if I'm Southampton. Ralph Hosenhuddle, in my opinion, has only taken the team forward so far, and there's no reason that I would suspect that that won't continue next season. I don't think they're necessarily going to challenge near the top for most of it, but I do think they'll end up, they could end up top half of the table, 10th or 9th or, or, or 11th, kind of somewhere in that range next season, um, and, and kind of continue to build. Um, uh, Adam, uh, yes, you mentioned James Ward Prowse, and um, if Newcastle is is going to you know look at a player this summer uh, to add squad depth to, to that midfield, if you're not going to trust either of the Longstaff brothers for you know uh, any period of time, I would love to see James Ward Prowse wearing the black and white. Well, he um, would come in and he'd re- he'd really replace John Joe Shelby John Joe. in that team, and th- I'd be okay with that too because he's the type of player you build around. Um, James Ward Prowse's. I, I, I mean, I think if you're Manchester United, I think if you're Chelsea, you, you can't go wrong with going for James Ward Prowse. Uh, absolutely. Um, uh, moving back up to London, let's let's have a look at Crystal Palace. Um, Jordan, it was kind of a weird season for them, and a lot of questions that will continue into this off season. Yeah. Uh... The main question being, uh, main two questions uh, are: uh, Is Roy Hodgson going to stay on as manager? He is not. Uh, and, He's already said that. And, okay, so he is gone, <laughs> and that answers question number one. And then question number two is: Wilfred Zaha, uh, their leading goal scorer this year with eleven goals, is he going to stay um, at the age of twenty-eight? Uh, kind of like the Harry Kane situation over at uh, Tottenham. Wilfred Zaha. Uh, uh, Crystal Palace's best player for a long time. Um, loves to take people on with dribble. Has an eye for goal. Uh, makes things happen. Uh, and the club really hasn't, you know, played up to his potential. That's for sure. Um, is he going to stay on past this summer? You know, there are some bright spots in this team. Uh, Tyrick Mitchell uh, and then uh, SA. Wonderful player. The, uh, being the, uh, the being the two young players, um, twenty one and twenty two. Um, but you know, like we've, like we've talked about Brighton, like we've talked about Burnley, um, squad age, uh, averages on the older side, 
Um, you know, guys like Jordan Ayu have been kicking around uh, Crystal Palace forever. Uh, Christian Benteke, Patrick Van Anholt, um, Scott Dan <laughs> still there. Um, and are they going to have the funds this summer to, you know, bring in some depth, maybe find a, uh, you know, another young piece to go with S.A. and Mitchell and, you know, hopefully keep Zaha to kick forward? Because I'll be honest with you. Watching Crystal Palace these last, what, three out of four matches, they definitely seemed like the most energetic and up for squad uh, in this late push of the season. They were up for it today against Liverpool, too, even though they lost. Yes, they were. They still look good. Um, I thought that was a penalty uh, on Andrus Townsend. I really did. I thought he should have got, uh, they should have gotten a PK right there. And, um, well, it's Anfield, so, you know. Yeah. and until Liverpool went up, you know, two nil, uh, Crystal Palace really seemed up for the game. And so they they do have some bright spots, but like like we've said about multiple other teams, um, they are going to have some questions. I honestly, if they could keep Wilfred Zaha, I have them comfortably mid uh, lower mid table next year. That's a good shout. I also think it's going to depend on who they bring in as a manager. Um, I think the the strongest link right now is Frank Lampard. Um, but you know there are multiple positions open, and I think it, he he would have his pick um, right now based on what's open. Um, you know, kind of wherever he wanted to go. I, I feel like he would stay in London, but you know, it's kind of up to him. Um, so let's see. We're on Palace. Who's next? Wolverhampton Wanderers. Speaking of a of a managerial change, um, uh, of course, we heard that Nuno Spiritu Santo is going to be leaving. Um, uh, Wolves, it was kind of a surprise announcement, and a lot of people now thinking he's going to go uh, to Spurs. And so I think that alone leaves a lot of questions with this Wolverhampton team. It, it was unfortunate for them this season um, with the just terrible, terrible injury to Raul Jimenez. Um, you know, they, I think they had a couple of players as their top scorer, and it was five goals, which, you know, you, you obviously will want more than that. Um, but what worries me more is I think Nuno had this team organized. You know, they were defensively very solid. It was really tough to play against them and, and to break them down. And I think he was a lot, he, he had a lot to do with that. And so now, how do you replace that? I mean, he, he, he was, it's, it's weird how quickly he's become synonymous with Wolverhampton Wanderers and, and just, you know, for him to, to, to be leaving, I, I think fans are, I think the fans are pretty worried, and I would be too. Um, uh, you know, you have to wonder next season. You know, I've heard good things about Real Jimenez coming back, but if I don't know if he's going to come back and be a hundred percent. You know, the only player who I can think of who suffered that kind of injury and came back and continued to have a sterling career was Petr Cech. Uh, yeah. When he when he had that that injury, um, I think it was two thousand and six. I think is when when uh, he ended up having that fractured skull. Um, and that's why he wore the the helmet. And apparently, Raúl Jiménez is going to continue to wear the helmet um, um, for the rest of the season. You know, they've got a, a lot of young players, and they they may just need time to improve. But if you're Wolves, does that 13th place finish this season give you confidence um, that maybe you don't need to go out and spin big? And I don't know that it necessarily does. And then there's a big question about Connor Cody. I mean, he was very solid for them this season. He wore the captain's armband. He was he was really fantastic, but. You know, if Liverpool comes calling and you're Connor Cody, you probably go because you could fill in a role there and you could do really well. So 
a lot of questions and I, I mean, think around around Wolverhampton that weren't there about a week ago that now suddenly are there. And uh, Adam, uh, more to the point, you know Connor Cody, he is he's twenty eight, so this would be you know uh, in the next couple years if if a bigger club comes calling, this might be his last opportunity to go play you know uh, you know you know you know competitive be competitive you know at, at winning the league. Um, and you know, like I said, uh, Liverpool, uh, you know, Liverpool lad, uh, played in the Liverpool youth Academy. And, and if, and I think they do need some help at the, at the center back position and he would be a great pickup for them. And then I don't know where that would leave your defense. Uh, if you're wolves, because he was the captain. Now, uh, Willie Bolly was the engine, but, uh, Connor Cody was definitely the mind, uh, that, uh, organized and orchestrated that back three. And he was just always there. I mean, he was always there to make an interception or to make a header. You know, he 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 really played, he really played well this season, and and I think had probably his best season in a Wolves shirt. And maybe that was out of necessity because they couldn't keep so much sustained pressure because of the injuries that they had up top. But I mean, yeah, it's it's he's got some decisions to make this summer. And also, uh, what compounded the what compounded you know the the loss of Raúl uh, Jiménez for Wolves. Was also was also losing Diago uh, Diago uh, Jota to uh, to Liverpool over. That's the right. Yes. Yeah. And and having him losing his influence um, uh, was, goal was, was very big. Um, so moving from from one uh, one West Midlands club to another, let's take a look at Aston Villa. Um, Caleb, you've been kind of examining the way that they did this season. I mean, it's a decent finish, and they've got some yeah. bright spots. Uh, in that team? I think, you know, it's one of those weird things where you go, if you told a, a Villa fan a couple of years ago that, that they finished where they where they did kind of mid-table this season, I think they'd be pretty ecstatic about it. But they start off the season so well, um, you know, and, and they probably kind of finished where you might have expected them to. You know, they spent a lot of money um, over the summer, some 74 million pounds, bringing in the likes of, you know, Ollie Wack- Watkins and Matty Cash and, um, Martinez and, and, and really, you know, they, they identified a lot of needs and they went out and spent some money to try to fill those. Um, they got up to a kind of a torrid start, you know, they won over, they had a win over Liverpool. They beat Western city. Second half wasn't as strong, but then they finished pretty well. Um, they got a two, no win over Chelsea today. So, um, you know, they were going from a, from relegation to a solid contender in the premier league over, over several, the course of a few seasons is pretty impressive. Um, you know, and they're a team that I watched in the championship a couple of years ago, and, and they're kind of a different team. Um, and they should be as good or better next year. Um, you know, Hawkins, you might not consider him to be a true number nine, but he's definitely uh, a playmaker. Um, you know, they've got uh, uh, they've got some needs in, in, in terms of a backup striker. They've got some needs kind of along the left wing. Um, but they've got some really strong young talent. They've really, you know, Aston Villa has really kind of established themselves as a, as a squad that can can um, develop young players. Um, um, you know, Carney Chukwemenka is is one player who I think is is really making a lot of noise. Um, so, I think if they go out and, and they don't they don't need to spend seventy four million pounds again, but if they go if they go out and make a couple of smart investments and, and they develop some of these younger players, um, and you know, some players they bought last transfer window or the summer um really start to to shine um you know if they get a better 
performance, for instance, out of Metacash, then I feel like you know this is a, this is a squad that could be competing for maybe you know a uh, you know, top six finish. I I. I, I yeah I mean I agree with that I think if they can keep Jack Grealish um, you know it was very clear I, he, he got an injury toward the end of the season and I think it became clear how much they rely on him oh, and yeah. yet they still continue to play well but but For, yeah so I mean especially in just in terms of setting folks I mean he's really kind of a cog to them being successful on the offensive you know half so yeah he he's really a key for them and then I la- I, I love that you mentioned Ollie Watkins. Um, I mean, just future me, England one, striker, one of my favorite players um, this season. He does so much for Aston Villa, and the fact that he does that and then continues to work that hard and can still he still scored fourteen Premier League goals this season. I think is just a testament to to the type of player that he is. You know, he's twenty five, um, which is kind of getting on the line of you know we should start to be seeing stuff like him. That we should start to see seasons like that from Molly Watkins now at this stage of his career. It's just a question of can he then raise his game even more as he gets older and and continue and and really be that type of guy who who doesn't just work hard in this Villa team, but is 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 a spark. You know, is somebody who can who can get the goal that they need and maybe not necessarily create things from start to finish, but be that that force that drives him forward and take on that role. I think that's the next stage that he needs to have. He's got a great supporting cast around them, but I think he needs more of that, that, that energy that I'm taking charge in this attack sort of mentality. Um, and I think that's the feeling there is, yeah. you know, can, what is his ceiling and can he really kind of transition from somebody who, you know, can obviously finish at the top to someone who is deadly up there. And I don't know if he's that player. I don't know if he knows if he's that player. And I think Villa may be a striker away. You know, maybe they move him, you know, maybe to, you know, maybe they keep him, you know, kind of an advanced playmaker and they get a true striker up there. But but mm-hmm. if he's able to build on his success at all this season, they could be a really dangerous team next year. Yeah. So it sounds like what you're saying, uh, both Caleb and Adam, is that uh, Ollie Watkins is like, five Sambuca shots and like five skills vodka shots away from being uh, a young Jamie Vardy. Um, <laughs> it's not it's a this, terrible comparison. Honestly. It's not really isn't because they both do no, work very hard. No. I think the only difference is Jordan and that's, that's is, is the alcohol intake. <laughs> and, and probably the love of, uh, of uh, iron brew. Or, or what was it? Beers on the coach on the plane. Yeah. Um, um, no, I, I I agree. I think he he could be that that type. Hello, listener. Adam here, telling you that we have decided that because this end of season review is so big and so grand, we have decided to split it up into two parts. Because let's be honest, there's only so much of us droning on and on that you can take. So sit back, relax, take a breather, maybe enjoy a pie. As someone who's been trying some more vegetarian options lately, I have been interested in the potato, cheese, and leek variety lately, but you do you. Grab yourself a brew, click on over to part two, and we will continue our review of the 2020-2021 Premier League season at your own speed. Thanks.